Good morning, good afternoon and good evening wherever you are in the world. I'm James Schofield, the writer of the stories in this podcast, Behind the Bottom Line. Over the years, I've written lots of short stories for different magazines about the funny, sad and strange people and events I've experienced in business. In each episode, I read you my original story and afterwards I tell you something about the real-life background which inspired it. Today's story is called Peas. And while you're listening, ask yourself, how actively are you listening? Peas. My old boss called me back in, even though she wasn't supposed to use me anymore. The company had retired me from my post as chief industrial psychologist because I wouldn't give up smoking, which probably didn't look good for a company in the field of healthcare. But now the IT department had spent squillions of euros trying to develop an intelligent chatbot, and so far all they got was a really smart idiot. They needed my help. What do you want this chatbot to do? I asked Carl, their chief programmer, when I met him and his team in the research labs. He didn't like me. That was okay. I didn't like him. Diagnostic things. We're building a medical bot, MD, who can talk to a patient about their health. How do you feel today? Where does it hurt? What did you eat last night? That kind of thing. The bot can combine this information with any physical test results and then access all the latest information available in the world that could be relevant and make a diagnosis in seconds. We compared MD with average human doctors. She's faster, more accurate, and she gets better results. So what's the problem? Listen to this. He pressed a button on his console. Hey, MD. A friendly, smiling face appeared on a screen. She looked like your dream doctor. Hello. How do you feel today, Carl? Why do you think I'm here, MD? I feel amazing. Great. Call me when you have a problem. Bye. The face disappeared. That's the problem, said Carl. She doesn't understand that humans might do things like be sarcastic or lie. Well, I said, lighting a cigarette, your chatbot isn't listening. You know that's forbidden here. Do you have to? he asked, pointing at my smoke. No, I can go away and let you deal with this on your own, I said. So, like it or lump it? He decided he'd have to lump it. For the next three months, I worked and smoked harder than I'd ever done before. I had an idea that the problem lay in the original programming. You see, programmers are smart, but not always very smart with people. Computer code is never neutral. It reflects the personality of the programmer, and this bot was an introverted neural network desperate to show everybody how intelligent she was, just like her creators. MD could ask questions, but she always thought she knew the answers, so she didn't really listen to what people said. I had to teach her active listening. I had to teach P's. Paraphrasing, empathising, acknowledging and summarising. MD was a great student. She learnt something every session and remembered it perfectly the next day. Paraphrasing was no problem. 
She managed to shorten the test patient's complicated descriptions of their symptoms to two or three key facts very quickly. As for summarising, it was embarrassing how easily she reduced huge monuments of human creativity to a couple of sentences. As a test, I got a group of research students to read all of Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings to her. MD listened and then said, Two hobbits are told by an old wizard to travel a long way, at great personal risk, to throw a valuable ring belonging to another old wizard into a volcano. They do it. I couldn't argue with that. Acknowledging took a little longer. That's when the listener shows the storyteller that they're interested, so they keep on talking. MD began asking little friendly questions as my students talked to her. Going to the cinema tonight, MD, the student might begin. Really? That's nice. What are you going to see? Moonlight. What's that about? In the past, MD would have instantly checked the script, quoted the reviews and said how much the film had taken in at the box office, ending all possibility of conversation. But once she had learned what was expected, MD could apply the skill to everything, and this eliminated the lying and the sarcasm in the test patients. MD could recognise inconsistencies immediately and then ask further questions. You're feeling amazing, are you? Then what brings you here? Tell me more. The problem, however, was teaching empathy. She could do sympathy, but that was unsatisfactory. She either looked for a silver lining in the patient's situation, which was bad. I've got an upset tummy, MD. Oh dear. Well, at least you don't have cholera. Or she tried to distract the patient, which was even worse. I've got a headache, MD. Sorry to hear that. Why don't you have some toast? To really empathise with a patient, she needed to understand their mental state, as well as their physical one. She needed to feel how they felt. Finally, I had an idea. We connected the entire research team to MD's software and sat down to watch sentimental films while our reactions were downloaded onto MD's database. The next day, we were all excited. MD had now refreshed her networks. Would my idea work? I put out my first cigarette of the day and lit the second as Carl started asking her questions. MD was brilliant. She politely but firmly dealt with lies and sarcasm and somehow, before we knew it, Carl was in tears and talking about the problems he and his wife had in the bedroom department. That must make you worry about your marriage, Carl, said MD. Is that the reason you spend so much time at work? What could you do to change things? Carl stood up, looking dazed after twenty minutes, and went home. Oh, MD, I said. That was amazing. His face. MD turned on her screen to look at me. So, tell me. Smoking makes you feel good, doesn't it? She asked. I nodded. Is it because it annoys people so much? Which is how, after a long conversation, I finally gave up smoking. To be honest, MD wasn't a great success as a healthcare bot. Patients found her ability to look inside them a bit frightening. But the company adapted the software a little and found new markets. The Roman Catholic Church installed Godbot in places where they couldn't appoint a local priest while lots of police forces bought John Darm. It was the software's ability to get confessions 
that both organisations liked. Pease was written for Business Spotlight in 2017. And the topic of active listening is something that uh, I've been working on or working with for quite some time as a trainer. And this particular acronym, so paraphrasing, empathizing and acknowledging and summarizing, um, is uh, an acronym that I used for training people in active listening in uh, management courses and language courses as well. Um, and uh, of all those elements, empathizing is definitely the most challenging, probably because um, our education system trains us to constantly come up with solutions for people. And we find it hard to simply listen and show our conversation partner that we actually care uh, about what they say and what they feel. And I think if we could actually do that, um, empathize rather than constantly try to come up with solutions, uh, we would probably find not only our office life, but also our domestic life uh, would improve enormously. The topic of artificial intelligence is, of course, uh, very popular nowadays. And I think that it's something that is really interesting to observe because it provides so many examples of unintended consequences. Um, unintended consequences are when you try to do something for good reasons and it ends up um, being a disaster. A classic example is the uptick, the thumbs up sign in Facebook. And the developers of that, they wanted it really to spread positivity about people's messages. What they didn't realize, of course, was that people were going to become obsessed and neurotic about how many thumbs up they received uh, and that they would become severely depressed if they didn't manage to hit certain numbers. So that's a good example of unintended consequences. Trying to do something good, but ending up with a completely different result. And then there are things like unconscious bias. I mean, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If you think about it, um, the, we learn biases from the people who teach us, whether it's our parents or whether it's people in school or whether it's society around us. So of course, uh, a programmer is going to incorporate that their biases into their programming. Microsoft had a very unfortunate experience, but it was a very interesting experiment in about 2016 when they launched a chatbot called Tay. Tay stood for thinking about you and Microsoft thoughtfully gave her a Twitter account. And the idea was that she would learn how to interact with humans by interacting with people on Twitter. Um, unfortunately, her tweets, having started out fairly banal, and they um, they were aimed at 18 to 24 year olds, and Tay herself was imagined to be a 19 year old woman, because she was interacting with people and learning from people, um, she started to become increasingly uh, sexist and racist, uh, provoking a headline from one Silicon Valley newspaper. Uh, Microsoft's Hitler-loving sex robot. Um, yeah. And so over 24 hours, she managed to tweet 96,000 times. Um, fascinating conversation, some of them very banal, but 
uh, some of them really, really offensive. Um, and yeah, this was because she was simply reflecting the pool that she was drawing her information from. So yes, uh, AI is something which is going to puzzle, I think, humanity for quite some time yet. The chief scientist in this project, the healthcare company, um, I called him Carl, and this was a, a small insider joke because within Siemens, they have uh, HR has a chatbot called Carl named after Carl von Siemens, and I thought it would be amusing to have the chief scientist there carrying his name. I also use this story as a chance to poke a little bit of fun at Lord of the Rings uh, when I produce that two-line summary of the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. When I was a child, I adored the Lord of the Rings. And I think between the ages of about 9 to 16, I think I must have read it about three times, everything, from The Hobbit all the way through to The Return of the King. And then when I was older and I started reading it to my children, I'm not sure if we actually got through all of them. I don't think we did. Um, but I remember thinking to myself, my God, where is the editor in all of this? And this, of course, is partly based on my own experience of editors who... Uh, with my stories are constantly looking over my shoulder and getting me to cut and cut and cut and cut and cut. Uh, and I think Tolkien could have done it with a little bit more cutting because honestly, if you look at my summary, I mean, that's about it. Slightly unusually in my stories, the, the storyteller, so the, the central character, uh, smokes very often in short stories, it's quite convenient for the author to show who's a bad character by having them smoking. But in this story, the, the storyteller is a smoker. Now, at the end of the story, uh, MD manages to convince him to give up smoking because she causes him to reflect on perhaps the only reason he's really smoking is to annoy everybody around him. But I think this is something that non-smokers overlook quite a lot, which is that smoking is really very pleasurable. Um, I'm not talking about the uh, addiction side of it. I'm just talking about the aesthetic side of it. When you open a fresh packet of cigarettes and you pull out that first cigarette and it's all nice and fresh and you crumple up the paper uh, and you light that first cigarette and the blue smoke goes up and you take in that first shot of smoke. Um, and yeah, it's quite nice. And smokers, uh, non-smokers always tend to think, yeah, if they, they emphasize the ashtray aspect of it, which is disgusting. They emphasize the, the, the smell hanging around your clothes, which is disgusting. Uh, they emphasize the health aspects, which is disgusting. Um, but they don't ever think about why it is that somebody might find it pleasurable. Um, and they just tend to think of smokers as, as filthy, dirty addicts. Um, and, and I think not empathizing actually with why somebody smokes and why they might find pleasure in it is something that would be helpful in getting people to give up. Um, speaking here as somebody who doesn't smoke anymore.
I had quite a lot of fun with the names for my chatbots, which, of course, in the podcast, you can't really appreciate it. But MD is written E-M, new word, D-double-E. So MD, little joke there. Um, and the other ones at the end there, the Godbot and John Darm, uh, J-O-N, new word, D-A-R-M, for the police uh, police version of the chatbot. Um, that was quite entertaining for me to think up. Um, and actually, I do think there is a there's great potential there for both the police and the Catholic Church. I mean, the Catholic Church has this problem with not having enough priests and uh, particularly for areas where uh, it's difficult to persuade a, a priest to go and live. Uh, it could be quite handy to have a chatbot able to provide confession. Um, and as for the police and John Darm, well, you know, um, uh, at least you would remove the risk of any physical violence being done to a suspect when they were being questioned, if the questioning was being done by a chatbot. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Behind the Bottom Line. Please subscribe on Apple, Spotify or Google Podcast or whichever app you use so that as soon as the next episode is available, you'll get it. In the meantime, catch up on any episodes you've missed, tell your friends about the show give it a rating and write a review on the podcast app. And you can write to me directly at james.rupert.schofield at gmail.com. Until the next episode of Behind the Bottom Line, this is James Schofield saying goodbye. <laughs>